Hey, Podge. Josh. Um, I'm, uh, I'm up in PA at the pier. <laughs> and I think, I'm, uh, I think I just gave away my truck. I know I did. Um, you'll see. It's <laughs> been crazy, but yeah, now I need a getaway car. <clears throat> well, just, uh, I don't know. Her friends are wanting me to go. Anyway, I'm going to tell you again right now. I'm going to keep bugging you until you answer. I'll get up. From Trembling Leaf Media in Minneapolis, this is the Simply Vanished Podcast. I'm Josh Newville. And I'm Kathy Lee. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver. Get unstuck with BetterHelp. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash simplyvanished. Start living a better life today. Kathy and I would like to thank Chime, the most downloaded banking app, for supporting Simply Vanished. With payday up to two days early and fee-free overdrafts of up to $200, they offer financial peace of mind. See for yourself why Chime is so loved at chime.com slash simplyvanished. Joshua Vance Simisky was born on June 23, 1978. The father of seven children, Josh was last seen in October 2019 near Port Angeles, Washington. Roundly described as a sensitive, warm-hearted, and caring man who would do anything for anyone, the question in this case is whether it was that giving nature that had something to do with Josh's disappearance. So although Josh was born and raised in Utah, he had actually moved to Tacoma, Washington in September, about five weeks before his disappearance. He, along with his girlfriend Lauren and his young daughter Gracie, were initially living with his dad, Jared. This arrangement did not last long, however. While at his dad's home, Lauren was abusing alcohol and Josh was using heroin. So during this time, he got into a fight with his younger brother, which was severe enough that it resulted in a restraining order and Josh and Lauren getting kicked out of the house. Gracie continued to stay with her grandfather. Janie, Josh's mother, wouldn't learn until later that Josh had been kicked out. Even though Josh would text his mother multiple times a day, he never told her that he was homeless. Josh just told his mom that he was camping and neither Jared or Josh told her that he had actually been kicked out. I have over 2,500 texts uh, <clears throat> from Josh from the time that he went out to Washington until the, tw- uh, the time he disappeared. So uh, when I didn't know, though, that Josh was homeless for probably a, a month and a half after he, he had been kicked out. Uh, Josh told me he was camping, and his dad, you know, didn't say anything to me about it either. He says, oh, well, I talked to him. He's doing good and and things like this. So Josh was out there trying to kind of put his life back together out there in Washington. And then he, anyway, the, the homeless life of a heroin addict is what he lived out there. After getting kicked out of his dad's house, Josh and Lauren went their separate ways. This was not the first time they had broken up. According to his mother, Lauren had left before, staying away for four or five days, but she would always come back. This time would appear different as they never reconciled in the weeks following, although they appeared to have stayed on friendly terms. 
In late September, early October 2019, Josh called his mother, Janie, to ask for money. Not for himself, but for a woman he had met and who he wanted to help. Her name was Susan Brown. She was a Port Angeles local who lived in her RV that she typically parked in the Goodwill parking lot. To Janie, who knew her son, this request wasn't much of a surprise. As she put it, anybody who needed anything, if Josh had it, then he had it to help other people. Janie agreed to Josh's request and sent him approximately $3,000. On October 1st, after he received the money, he picked up Lauren, his now ex-girlfriend, from the hotel she was staying at and took her shopping at Walmart. He spent six to $700 buying her clothes and buying the both of them new phones. He did so despite the fact that they were broken up and that she was, at that very time, staying in a hotel room with another man. This wasn't a surprise to anyone who knew Josh. Such acts of generosity and empathy were apparently quite common for him. So Jamie had actually spoken to her son on the day of that Walmart shopping trip. According to her, Josh was in a good mood. She said that he seemed happy and that he felt like he had found his life's mission. Turns out his life's mission was to be with Susan and to become a part of the Elwha, which was the local Native American tribe. She naturally was concerned because it had been such a short time that Josh had known Susan, but she was not overly surprised because that was Josh, very open and caring, deep thinking, and seeking his life's purpose. It was only days later, on October 6th, that the family would have their last known contact with Josh. That afternoon, Josh was on the pier in Port Angeles, Washington, socializing with a group of the local homeless population. He appeared to be in the same clothes that he would be wearing when he was last seen. At approximately 2.25 p.m., Josh was captured on surveillance video walking away, presumably to make the phone call to his dad, who stated that he received a voicemail from Josh at approximately 2.30. When his dad didn't pick up his call, Josh left the following voicemail. Hey, Pods, Josh, um... I'm, uh, I'm up in PA at the pier, <laughs> and I think I'm, uh, I think I just gave away my truck. I know I did. Um, you'll see. <sighs> it's been crazy, but yeah, now I need a getaway car. <laughs> well, just, uh, I don't know. Her friends are want me to go. Anyway, I'm going to tell you again right now. I'm going to keep bugging you until you answer. I'll be dead. Although it seems that Josh intended to hang up the phone at this point, he didn't. That left several minutes of a recording that is difficult to make out. And what can be heard doesn't make a lot of sense. Some have speculated that Josh left the call running deliberately to signal that he needed help or to record evidence of some sort. But this seems unlikely, especially because the little that can be discerned is not very helpful. Although Josh does sound to be somewhat emotional in the voicemail, it's hard to say what kind of emotion he was feeling. Even if he were in distress, as some believe, in the surveillance footage, he appears to be able to move about freely, and the little background conversation that can be heard could likely be attributable to the group of people that he seems to have been talking with just prior to making the call. After leaving the pier, it's not clear where Josh went next. According to the story as told by Susan, Josh disappeared from 210 Casey Way, leaving behind everything. And his family would come to find out everything included his wallet, his car, and apparently even the boots he was wearing. Susan reports that she had no idea that Josh had taken off, stating that she didn't even know he was gone until she found his wallet and some notes he had left for her inside her RV. These notes, again purportedly written by Josh, gave all of his possessions to Susan and the Lower Elwha tribe, 
while he went on a, quote, spiritual journey. Susan claims that after discovering these notes, she hopped in Josh's car and drove around the area looking for him, but was unsuccessful. What is known is that in the early morning hours on October 7th, 2019, a 911 call came in from a woman in Olympic National Park. She reported that there was a male who appeared disoriented walking in the middle of the road. She stated that he had been nearly hit by logger trucks and she was worried for his safety. When park rangers arrived around 5 a.m., they found him walking near Crescent Lake. He was barefoot and wearing the same clothes as he had been wearing at the pier. As he didn't have anything with him, he clearly was not equipped in any way for camping or the wilderness. Initially, the park rangers only had a very brief interaction with Josh, where Josh refused to give them his last name. When asked Josh what, Josh replied, that's it. Like his name was Josh what, and stated that he could pick his own last name. Pick my new last name. Okay, I'd like to get you somewhere where you're not in the middle of the road. I'm not in the middle of the road, dude. We're going to talk again. Joshua continued walking during this interaction and refused any assistance. Since walking in the middle of the night isn't illegal, the rangers had to let him go. They were still concerned for his safety, though, so when they circled back around, they tried again, and this time they were able to persuade him to get into the car. Per his request, they dropped him off at mile marker 233 on Highway 101, which is where the Shadow Mountain RV Park and the general store is located. This was the last confirmed sighting of Joshua. Now, Casey Way is about 15 miles away from Lake Crescent, which is where he was first spotted walking. If that is indeed where he disappeared from, that would have been a six or seven hour walk while barefoot if he had walked the entire way. It's possible he could have gotten a ride from someone, but there's no evidence of this except for maybe the fact that in the park ranger's security footage, his feet don't look like they've walked 15 miles. We do have to admit that it is dark in the footage and it's not the best quality, so it is possible that there was some damage that we just didn't see, but that is a very long walk while barefoot. Further, if he had indeed left from Casey Way, he would have had to pass the Shadow Mountain RV park, which is where he was later dropped off by park rangers, so this path of travel doesn't really make sense. When we asked Janie why Josh may have wanted to be dropped off at that RV park, she didn't know of any association, but did speculate that perhaps that was where he was camping, as he didn't have an RV, but he did have some camping equipment. When the family later canvassed the area in their search for Josh, one resident told them that although he didn't know where Josh was, he did know where the boots were. And so we went up there and knocked on that trailer door, and we were told there that the guy didn't know Josh, but he knew where his boots was. And he walked out of the trailer and went back to a grove of trees and walked back out with Joshua's boots. Although he was last seen in the early morning hours of October 7th, he wasn't officially reported missing until a few days later on October 11th. His father, Jared, explained the delay by stating that he thought that Joshua was voluntarily missing due to being in the midst of an act of addiction, and the police appeared to agree with him. You know, the mental, I, I think it's a lot of prejudice uh, honestly, on on their behalf. It took uh, several days and several trips to get them to list my son as missing. He was gone because he was, uh, that's the way that, that homeless drug addicts live, is that they, they just do these things. It's just something they do. And, and that was all there was to it. So I had to fight with him to get him to list, list him as missing. While there may have been some initial difficulty in getting Josh listed as a missing person, 
The PAPD did conduct extensive search efforts. The community of Port Angeles have organized about a half a dozen searches, and police have conducted both land and air searches. Police have also conducted searches using cadaver dogs, searching along Casey Way, which Josh allegedly left from, and along the Shadow Mountain region, where he was last seen by park rangers. They were only able to search along the sides of the roads, however, citing the fact that the foliage was too dense for the dogs to get through. Not finding Josh out in the open view along the side of the road is not surprising, but it also makes me wonder, if a dog can't make it through the dense vegetation, how far could a man who was barefoot and without equipment make it, no matter how determined he was? Despite Josh having last been seen in early October, his EBT card was used twice after that time, once on November 5th and again on November 6th. Both attempts were for small amounts, roughly 7 or $8. The second attempt was declined and did not go through. Both of these instances occurred at Safeway, and when police followed up, management told them that the security system was down at the time, and so there was no video evidence. Given that it was later discovered that Josh's wallet had been in Susan Brown's possession, and that police were told that Susan had been using Josh's bank account to purchase food, it seems like a reasonable conclusion that the attempts in November were made by Susan and not by Josh. Although Susan originally had Josh's wallet, it was eventually turned into the Port Angeles Police Department by Lauren, Josh's ex-girlfriend, after she received it from a local couple. As the couple explained to the police in an interview, sometime after Joshua disappeared, Susan Brown gave Joshua's wallet to them to hold on to for her. Susan did eventually take the wallet back, but luckily, according to the police report, the wallet fell into his backpack when he was riding in the backseat of Joshua's Mercury, which Susan was driving. It was in the same interview that they stated that Susan used Joshua's bank account to purchase food, and police later found evidence that someone had used Josh's bank account to make purchases after the date of his disappearance. It was not surprising to Janie that this couple would want to do anything they could to help find Josh. According to everyone who knew him, Josh was a generous person who shared whatever he had, and Josh had become well-known and loved in Port Angeles. Despite having become homeless himself, Josh was well-known for handing out sandwiches or packets of cigarettes or sharing a beer and just giving to those who had less than him. Janie states that even today there are people who know Josh from the pier, and they would reach out to her and keep her up to date on what the police have been doing in the investigation. The thing is, one thing I've been, excuse me, for has been that a lot of the people in Port Angeles have messaged me and been very that there is something wrong here and that the police are, you know, appear to also be frightened to be dealing with Susan, and that there's, you know, that, that kind of, a lot of that. I've got hundreds of friends that I've never met that are on social media, Facebook with me, you know, from there, uh, talking about other things that the police there do. Uh, that's been helpful, kind of, <laughs> to a point of being understood, but but then not helpful to a point of realizing that when the, the government goes wrong there, when corrections won't do corrections anymore, when they're really not interested in, in policing and, and things like that, they have other interests that you know, it, it's kind of hopeless, but it's good to know that other people know and, and agree. 
We've all heard the cliche saying that money can't buy happiness, but let's be real, that's not exactly true, is it? While it is true that wealth cannot buy happiness, the comfort that comes with financial stability and peace of mind can certainly help you smile more. And that's where Chime truly shines. Recently named the number one most loved banking app, Chime helps you stabilize your finances with a few taps on your smartphone. Chime offers payday up to two days early and fee-free overdrafts of up to $200, all with no annual fees, large security deposits, or credit checks. See for yourself why Chime is so loved at chime.com slash simply vanished. That's chime.com slash simply vanished. Chime is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank National Association. Members FDIC. Early access to direct deposits depends on payer. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. See chime.com slash spot me. Chime was a 2021 number one most downloaded banking app in the United States, according to Apptopia. Visit Chime.com slash Simply Vanished. Please note that BetterHelp Therapy Online is not a crisis line. If you or a loved one are experiencing a mental health emergency, consider dialing 988 in the United States. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver. Get unstuck with BetterHelp. For 10% off your first month, go to BetterHelp.com slash Simply Vanished. Start living a better life today. I know that it can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with challenges in life instead of becoming consumed by the problems that we face. But when you learn how to find your own solutions, there's really no better feeling. And a therapist can help you become a better problem-solver, making it far easier to accomplish your goals no matter how big or small. Regardless of our personalities, our backgrounds, and life experiences, we can all use help solving problems, especially when those problems relate to our own well-being. You know, personally, my instinct is to put my own health, both mental and physical, on the back burner while dealing with other problems in life. Truth be told, I've done too much of that these past few years. Therapy is a healthy and surefire way to prevent that from happening for too long. Just like scheduling workouts and physical therapy sessions can help us ensure that our bodies get the physical training and treatment that they need, Schedule therapy sessions can help us ensure that we're treating our emotional injuries and exercising our mental health skills. Everyone deserves to feel their best. And with BetterHelp, it's easier to get started. They provide all of the benefits of in-person therapy, plus it's more convenient, more accessible, and more affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist, and if things aren't clicking, hey, you can easily switch to a new one at any time. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic. No endless searching for the right therapist. Get unstuck with BetterHelp. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash simply vanished. That's betterhelp.com slash simply vanished. So as we just established, Susan Brown was originally in possession of Joshua's wallet and was driving around in his car. Also in her possession were various notes that we referred to earlier that were allegedly written by Josh and left for Susan in her RV. Only one of them is dated for October 1st, and it seems to be the most explicit in the fact that he allegedly wanted to give away all of his possessions. The note reads, Promissory note. I, Joshua Vance Simisky, being of sound mind and body, hereby donate as a voluntary gift all my belongings and control over all my affairs and my life 
to Susan Brown and the Lower Elwha Tribe. Signed, Joshua V. Simisky, as promised, October 1st, 2019. The other two notes that we have are not dated, but they follow the same theme of giving away possessions and mention the idea of marriage to Susan in a tribal wedding, opening a healing center, and finding a purpose for his life on earth. The authenticity of these notes was a subject of debate, and it seems that Josh's dad, Jared, considered the notes to be genuine, making remarks to the effect that Josh giving away everything he owned to go on a spiritual journey sounded like something his son would do. Lauren, Josh's ex-girlfriend, believed that the signature did indeed belong to Josh, but that the rest of the writing was not his. She didn't specify if perhaps she thought that the note was written by someone else and he was forced to sign, or if perhaps Josh signed the bottom of a blank piece of paper that was filled in later. She does believe that Josh was, quote, forced and manipulated to do things he didn't want. We asked Janie what she thought about the authenticity of the notes. Did you think that that looked legitimately like Josh's handwriting? I I don't think they all did. I saw several versions of it. And and there was one that had some that I did think was Josh's and the other of it wasn't. But only one with a portion of it being Josh's. What do you make of this idea of him going on a spiritual journey? Well, Josh was, like I say, he was into those um, psychedelic, like mushroom and spiritual journey. And Josh would do that too sometimes. You know, growing up, he'd do that, but it wouldn't be for three years. He'd tell us that he was doing it, and it would be for you know, 24, 48 hours that he would do it for. So honestly, that, I think that's another way of saying he's a heroin addict. He's a, you know, he's inappropriate and that's the way they live and let it be. As for Susan, she appears to maintain that Josh was missing because he went on a spiritual journey. On October 11th, 2019, which is four days after Josh disappeared, Susan posted a message on Facebook, which stated in part, quote, After Joshua and I spent weeks together, I really believe that Joshua is on a personal self-healing journey and he will be back when he has his answers. I am waiting for him. I love him with every ounce of my being. He has asked my hand in marriage many times. My answer? Yes. My life is on hold for him. I pray to see his beautiful face, hear his beautiful voice every second of my day. Now, Josh had been married twice before, his first when he was only 17 years old. This is Janie's response when asked about Josh allegedly proposing marriage to a woman that he had only met a few weeks prior. Uh, I believe Josh did. Josh told me that Lauren had kept leaving him and that he was going to, him and Susan were going to get married. And I asked him to think about it. He just met her and didn't really, you know... He agreed, but she, he said she wanted to get married right away, and so he was, you know, he, he thought he'd do that. So he didn't like being alone uh, and things like this. But, yeah, that's that's one thing that uh, Susan, I've heard that Susan said that, that I'd have to validate. Now, despite Susan's public proclamation of love and acceptance of his proposal, she was not actually very helpful to the family when it came to the search for Josh. While she initially had been willing to text the family remotely, as soon as they came into Port Angeles, she stopped texting and refused several attempts to speak with her. 
The local rumor mill makes it clear that you would not want a loved one who struggled with drug addiction to associate with Susan Brown. Locals have indicated that Susan Brown and her friends are the ones that run the homeless population at the pier and has a hand in the organized drug trade. With Susan's lack of cooperation and her now stonewalling the family, on January 31st, almost four months after Josh had gone missing, the family took it upon themselves to get Josh's truck back from Susan. Up until this point, she was still driving around in it and allegedly was trying to sell it. A friend local to the area organized to have a tow truck driver repossess the truck in order to preserve it for the family. Unfortunately, Josh's personal possessions weren't still inside, as Susan had allegedly removed them from Josh's truck and dropped them off at a shelter. Now, this to me seems to indicate that she didn't really expect Josh to return from his spiritual journey anytime soon, if at all. No matter how unmaterialistic you've become during a spiritual awakening, some items like clothes are still needed to operate in this world, and she appeared to be trying to discard or sell everything that he had had. In February of 2020, friends and family organized a candlelight vigil and rally at the Goodwill to picket the parking lot where Susan parked her RV. They hoped to garner more attention to Josh's case and attempt to pressure Susan into providing information. They were also hoping that more publicity might force the PAPD to look further, as up until this point, they had yet to investigate Susan's motorhome, Josh's vehicle, or view activity on Josh's bank account. They seem to have taken the position that Josh was an adult and he's allowed to give away his possessions and walk away from his family, and without evidence of foul play, there was nothing they could do. The opinion that Josh was voluntarily missing was bolstered when, in the months following Josh's disappearance, there were several reported sightings of a man fitting Josh's description, although none of these could be confirmed. One instance was November 3rd, which is less than a month after Josh was last seen. In Sequim, Washington, a city only 30 miles from where he had been dropped off by park rangers, a man resembling Joshua was seen in a fast food restaurant. When a witness approached and asked if he was the man who was missing, the man replied that he was, but that he didn't want to talk to his family or go home. Although several other customers confirmed that this interaction took place, the man's identity was never confirmed. Janie and other family do not believe that this man was Josh, but police do seem to think it was possible, which may have complicated their investigation for a missing person. It was the emergence of COVID that hindered the family's continued search efforts. In March of 2020, the family had traveled up from Utah to ask questions and to try to find some answers. As Janie stated, they went up there and knocked on every trailer at the trailer park and handed out flyers. This trip to Washington had to be cut short as travel was being shut down and they risked being stuck in Washington for an unknown period of time. The family continued to get updates, however, many of them from the local friends that Josh had made and the people who cared about him. Along with the updates, though, came rumors. Uh, I also hear that uh, they, they move his body, which gets a bit bizarre for me. I've heard recently that Josh's body is in the, what the word, is it tunnels of Port Angeles or underground world, but a literal underground area where they, they're able to do things like that, uh, put dead people's bodies as they take care of them, as they kill them. There's nothing in the way of evidence to accompany these rumors, and so very little happened officially until the following May, 2021, when Janie received a message. An anonymous person had made a hand-drawn map that allegedly showed the exact location where Joshua was shot and buried in 2019. Despite an extensive search made by police involving backhoes and many man-hours, nothing was found. 
There are some that feel that the police had dug in the wrong spot, about 20 feet away from where Josh had allegedly been buried, but the police disagree, stating that their dig was accurate and that no evidence was found. There hasn't been any other evidence about Joshua found either, and no further progress on the case has been made. In the intervening years since his disappearance, Casey Way, once a homeless camp and a legal dump site, has since been purchased, and the long-abandoned motorhomes, piles of discarded tires, and general debris have been cleaned out. Josh's absence has unsurprisingly been quite hard on the family. There are those that believe even now, three years later, that Josh did indeed go on a spiritual journey and would return when he was ready. This would become a point of contention with those like Janie who believe that Josh would never willingly be absent for this long and think that such attitudes prevented people from looking for him. Uh, one of the distractions has been actually in our family uh, between uh, Jared's side of the family and in my side of the family, there's actually family members who won't talk to each other anymore. Uh, though uh, some on Jared's side of the family won't talk to us because uh, we believe that Josh was hurt. And they don't believe that. They believe that he's doing his own free uh, homeless drug addict behavior and he'll come around when he wants to come around and why are we trying to make a big deal out of it? So, and I would be very happy if Josh was just out being a heroin drug addict acting this way. Um, but Josh wouldn't go <clears throat> for this long without contacting us. I literally do have 2,500 and I have copies of them. I could send them to you. Uh, Texas from Josh <clears throat> over a month and a half. Josh kept really good touch with me. As for the family's efforts... They have made several trips to Port Angeles to find Josh, have put up a reward in hopes for information. They've hired a private investigator to search, as well as hiring an audio expert to analyze Josh's last voicemail. They've also offered their DNA to police in order to help identify Josh once he's found. In the years since Josh's disappearance, Josh has missed the passing of his ex-girlfriend Lauren, the wedding of his daughter, and the birth of his first grandchild. As a man who didn't let a week go by without calling his mom, Janie does not believe that Josh chose to walk away from his family. Janie believes him to now be deceased and is simply looking for closure. This last year, it's just been so hard to even keep hoping and thinking anymore. You know, I've worked with, with, with celebrated his birthday, celebrated his missing day, you know, celebrated his children's birthday. He's got, he's become a, a grandfather over these last three years and things and and so many things and, and we've posted them and, you know, we, we have worked to support the concept that maybe he is there, you know, uh, and, and then also celebrating so that, you know, to hopefully keep the family together and bring the family, you know, together and, and things like this. It's just been, it, it's getting harder and harder, right? to even hope that anything will be done. So not to sound ungrateful. In honor of his memory, they have been renovating the family farm as a location for the family to come together. Janie hopes the farm becomes a beautiful, peaceful retreat for family and friends to come together. Oftentimes, Josh's spiritual journeys would be, uh, there's a ladder going up to a great big old barn on the farm, 
and that's where Josh would go. But when he was on a spiritual journey, he'd go up that ladder. And I've still got the ladder. We, I never let anybody move the ladder. It's still there. It goes from the uh, ground at the opening of the barn up to the, the first loft as Josh set it up. Uh, Josh lived at the farm uh, quite a bit. There's a little uh, one-bedroom cabin uh, there at the farm, and, and Josh lived at the farm. He worked at the farm for quite a bit, helping with uh, putting water systems in, and uh, he loved the farm. And so when he disappeared, you know, we the last picture I had of him was at the farm. We decided that we'd fix up the farm so we could celebrate Josh, you know, and, and honor him with the farm. So we built a big, beautiful deck. Uh, I built, uh, I I've, I've paid for uh, benches and, and uh, tripods with the big uh, cooking and, and, and fireplace bowls on them. In there, they say uh, families are forever, and they say, you know, love one another. That's been all cut, cut into the iron uh, there out, out there at the farm. It was at this very moment in the interview on Saturday with Josh's mom, Janie, that I received a stunning text message from Jackie Carey's sister, Nicole. Jackie had been found alive and healthy near Los Angeles. Although I desperately want to share more information with you about this amazing development, out of respect for Jackie's privacy and due to the nature of the ongoing investigation, I'm going to hold off for now. But know this, Josh Simisky's family, they would desperately love the same happy outcome. And only you can help make that happen. There are additional unsolved disappearances in the Port Angeles area. And we're not going to cover the one that we were planning on covering next week, again, due to the nature of these investigations and some of the active developments, but know that we are not taking our eyes off of that area and we will be back. In the meantime, if you have any information about Josh Simisky or any unsolved disappearances in the Clallam County area, please call us at 415-969-5678. That's 415-969-LOST. There are monetary rewards and you can make a difference. You can also submit information at simplyvanished.com. Joshua Vance Simisky was last seen on October 7, 2019, near the Shadow Mountain RV Park. He was described as 5'10, 150 pounds, with short cropped hair, brown hair, and brown eyes. At the time of his disappearance, he was 41 years old, had a short beard, was wearing a blue checkered shirt and blue jeans, but no shoes. He has an unfinished tattoo of a baby dragon on his arm and a tribal band tattoo. We will see you next week. I've been searching in the dark Trusting every clue I've found But the truth has not been told Is every corner of these woods is hollow
strange light is breaking through But my blinded eyes can't reveal an illusion I can't trust it being real So I keep 